0: And a coworker had gotten up and started writing these community agreements, and they were the typical ones, and she ended by saying, and to all the white, cisgendered, heterosexual people in the room, don't speak at all.
1: Welcome to POVs. I am so excited to chat with you today. You've become such a prominent voice for young conservatives everywhere. And at TC, we're all about bringing people together from all points of view. So excited to dive into your story today. Amazing.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to bring a
1: a new perspective. Of course. So starting out, as we start to uncover your unique perspective on the world, I know a lot of your story got started growing up really identifying with the left politically. I know your mom worked for a prominent leftist organization Mm -hmm. and you had a realization that maybe people on the left hated white people. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about what that was like for you and kind of reconciling a piece of your identity with your former political party? Yeah, where do we start? (laughs) Let's get into it. So
0: yeah, I I grew up raised by a a single mother who happens to be white. Uh, And although I think that's not really an important characteristic, it becomes important in this story. So my mom is a leftist organizer. She works in development for, like you said, a very prominent leftist organization back home. So from a really young age, I was made extremely cognizant of what it meant to be black and female in America. I had heard stories about how there would be barriers placed in front of me uh, that guarded me from having success and it was barriers that maybe you wouldn't experience or a white male wouldn't experience. So really as young as Around eight years old, I was, I was made conscious of this as reality. And as you can imagine, a young person hearing that, you're going to be angry and you're going to point that anger to wherever you feel it's deserved. And I was told it was the country and our systems and our institutions. So I fought that. And I was the kid in middle school who was organizing school board protests, which now that's a cool thing to do. Um, and I was doing that in high school and I was volunteering for my mother's organization. And when I graduated high school, I thought, you know what? I don't need to go into higher education just yet. The most important thing is activism. I need to change the world. I need to change the world. And I started working at my mother's organization. So I got hired as a youth organizer, and funny enough, I was going around and finding young people and teaching them the same exact thing that I was taught and sort of convincing them of their victimhood. And a few experiences led to my awakening, as people call it, but one of them was definitely going into the office every day and hearing what I would consider to be blatant racism towards white people. So I was going into work 9 to 5 and hearing this all day long about how white people have ruined America, they have no place in the conversation. And I was going home to my white family, who took care of me my entire life and and cooked me dinner every night. And just to hold those two beliefs in your mind at the same time is a really difficult thing to do.
1: Yeah. Wow. And I know that kickstarted your journey of self-discovery and you know, going out to learn on your own because people weren't willing to have conversations with you right. then. And so I'd be curious to know, back in the day when you did feel aligned with the left and you wanted to go out and change the world, what did that look like for you? What did changing the world mean mm. in comparison to maybe where you are now?
0: Yeah, I, I think there's there's a really good quote that, that Dave Rubin uh, put out there, and he said, you know, when, you, when you're on the left, you want to control the world. And, and when you step out of that, you want to understand the world. And I had no intention of understanding anything that was happening around me. I had just heard stories of racism and, and sexism and patriarchy. And I thought, you know, my emotions feel so visceral right now. And I am so angry, so I need to channel that anger into something. And I didn't channel that anger into looking into uh, what I was hearing and looking into these stories and recognizing whether or not they were actual trends and patterns in society. Instead, I just focused at my anger uh, at this sort of invisible enemy and, and ran with that. And it wasn't until I stepped out of that for a second and thought, okay, instead of being subjective and super in, in tune with my emotions right now, let's look at the facts, let's get objective, let's try to see what the real truth is. And when I stepped out, I thought, oh my gosh, the world looks a lot better than I thought it did. And there's a lot less victims in this world than I thought.
1: Wow. And was there one turning point for you or a pivotal moment where you remember thinking, hey, maybe what
0: I've been taught all my life isn't what I actually believe? Hoof. Uh, <laughs> there were there were several, but I can think of, of one in particular. I had been in a meeting and in these leftist organizations, what you do when you have a meeting is you start off with community agreements typically. And you write these community agreements on the board, and it's sort of rules that you agree to before you go into these meetings. So everybody will state their pronouns, things like, don't yuck my yum, or make space, take space, those, those typical sayings. And a coworker had gotten up and started writing these community agreements, and they were the typical ones, and she ended by saying, and to all the white, cisgendered, heterosexual people in the room, don't speak at all you've had the stage for long enough, or we're done listening to you. And I just looked around, and I saw all these heads that were just nodding in agreement. and I went, oh, maybe I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> maybe this isn't right. And I had gone to the head of the organization and said, hey, just a concern here. I, I mean, I'm not, I have no intention of leaving. What's with the racist part? I thought we weren't the racist side. I thought we were the tolerant side. And he looked at me dead in the eyes and said, you just simply don't know how oppressed you are. And it's not my job to teach you about that oppression. And it's not my fault that you're not as angry as you should be. And that was definitely strike one to to me thinking, okay, maybe I'm not,
1: not in the right place. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I find, you know, in hearing all perspectives surrounding a lot of what you're talking about, oftentimes people share that there is no such thing of, about racism when mm-hmm. it comes to white people. H- how did you find the courage to speak up about that? And what are your thoughts on whether racism does exist towards white people?
0: I think I, I found the courage to do it because I was looking around uh, and I was seeing so many young people who were just as uh, indoctrinated as I was at the time. And I remember when I woke up from that and went, oh wait, I'm not a victim, I felt so fulfilled. And it is such a a disheartening thing to be taught from a young age that life is going to be harder for you you than somebody else. And it really does rob you of agency. It robs you of ambition. It robs you of opportunity. Although a lot of people don't recognize that. They think they're doing something good. So I I got the drive there. Uh, And I, I think it's really important to recognize that racism does exist. I also think that so long as race exists, racism is going to exist. Humans are very simple beings. We recognize patterns. We see when something falls outside of that and we point at it and we, we talk about it. So, uh, racism exists. Now, does it exist on a systemic level is really the question.
1: After that moment of speaking to the person in charge at the organization Mm -hmm. you were working with, what happened next? Did you talk to your family about the views that you were having? Did you have any important conversations? What did that look like?
0: Yeah, it took a couple months for me to fully realize, oh, I need to leave and sort of discover where I actually land on these things. But there, was, there were discussions that I had, uh, specifically with my mother. She becomes really pivotal when it comes to the transformation there. Because I, I went to her and said, you know what? I don't think I agree with really anything that's being said on this side of the aisle at this point. And it was extremely contentious for a few months there. There was screaming matches regardless of of what we were talking about. Every single issue led to this just fiery fight. And eventually we realized just politics is outside of our wheelhouse. Maybe it's outside of our relationship and we just don't discuss it anymore. But it was rocky for for a minute there. (laughs) Wow, do you feel like she was able to really hear
1: you and understand what you were struggling with?
0: No, and I think the reason is when, when you have been taught these narratives for so long and you meet somebody that completely breaks it, it's really hard to to come to terms with it. It was really hard for me. For months and months, I was meeting people that deviated from what I believed, and I would just shut them out of conversations, and I didn't want to hear them. I wouldn't listen to opposing opinions. I didn't want to hear differing views, because I had already created this map of what the world looked like. And I would listen to stories on the news or things on social media, and I would just fit it into the map that I had already created. And anybody who fell outside of that was just evil or a, a bigot. And uh, that's exactly the the treatment that I got from my mother at the outset, which I guess is just uh, karma. karma. <laughs>
1: wow. I'm sorry that happened. Where where does your dad fit into the picture? Was he understanding?
0: Uh, so my parents got divorced when I was six. So my dad was not really a super big figure in my life. We don't talk all that often, which is something that I talk about a lot now, the important of, importance of fathers in the household. Yeah. And to what extent do you think that impacted, you know, the person you are today? Hmm, I think, I, I found father figures elsewhere, so there was a lot of teachers that I sort of attached myself to. My grandfather is a very significant figure in my life, so where I lacked fatherhood from the biological sense, I found it I found it elsewhere.
1: Got it. So you talked to your parents, you were talking to your mom, having conversations about your views, mm-hmm. it didn't go so well. <laughs> so you started doing some research on your own to better understand where you stood politically. Mm-hmm. How did you end up where you are today being a true vocal proponent for conservative politics?
0: Man, for a while I was just really, really quiet. I was doing the research on my own. I I left the organization and I didn't start making videos on the internet until about a year and a half later. I was simply just doing research. I found people like Tom Soule and Larry Elder and Dave Rubin and Dennis Prager and I was just consuming everything that I can. I think when, when your ideology sorts starts to sort of fall apart you look everywhere you can for answers so i was just voraciously doing that and i don't know i think i just looked around at the world about a year and a half later and i was watching the news and i was going on social media and i thought how is every single person falling for this narrative, and why is it working so well, and why did it happen to me, and how did I get out of it? And I thought, let me just hop on and start making videos. So I downloaded TikTok of all apps and just started making funny little videos about what I believed, and they just blew up out of nowhere. Do you remember the first one you made and that feeling before you (laughs) pressed post? What was
1: going through your mind?
0: First of all, it's the cringiest video I've ever made in my life. Um, You know the song, it's like, this beat is my recital. (laughs) I was dancing on my grandmother's porch and like going to different sides of the phone, just like talking about my political beliefs, like pro-life versus pro-choice, anti-gun versus like pro-second amendment. And I posted that video and it got like... I don't know, like maybe 50,000 views. And I thought, what? Wow. Why do people care about this? And I thought, okay, let's make another one. Let's make another one, let's make another one. And then one of them just stormed the internet and I was just Gosh. just shocked. Wow. And
1: did that lead you to start thinking, okay, so it's it's okay to share my views. It's okay to align with a new political party. What was going through your mind?
0: Mm, I mean, at, at first the, the feedback that I got was that it was not okay at all. Uh, I I will tell you, I'd never experienced more racism in my life uh, than after putting out those videos. And it was people coming at me and saying, you're a coon, you're an Uncle Tom, you're a race traitor, give back your black card, you don't represent us, you have no right to speak on our issues. And I was just getting that day in and day out death threats, and I mean detailed ones, uh, over stupid political videos on the internet. So I thought, hmm, there's a reason that people don't want me saying that. I'm going to do it more. <laughs> I'm sorry that happened to
1: you. I I was going to bring that up, mm-hmm. right? That typically black people get pushed back for aligning with the conservative party. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what was that like for you coming to terms
0: with a lot of backlash from other black Americans? It, it was something that I expected because I had grown up in the environment and I knew you know, myself four years ago would have said the same thing about somebody who chose to be a black conservative. So I, I definitely went in knowing that that was gonna be the response. I didn't quite know the extent of it and, and where it was gonna take me. But I, I don't typically view myself as a very sensitive person. So it sort of just goes in one ear and out the other. If you have valid criticism of a point that I'm making or something that I'm trying to explain, by all means, give me that valid criticism. But if your criticism is you're a coon, (laughs) I'm just
1: going to pass. Wow. And I think something that stuck with me that you just mentioned was that people were saying, you know, trade in your black card. You no longer represent us. Mm -hmm. Do you feel pressure sometimes to be a token black person in the conservative movement? Do you feel like you've been tokenized?
0: No, not currently just because I think I I work for an organization that really values what I have to say and, and what I do and I'm never I'm never forced to say anything that I, I disagree with and I've never had that set on my plate. I felt the exact opposite when I was working for the political left. But I can see where that could definitely be a problem. I know there are a lot of conservatives who would look at someone like me and go, hallelujah, because she's black and because she's a female, we need her, we need her. So I, I definitely think there's a niche market that people are filling with, with black conservatism. And, and my goal is just to go, why are we calling it black conservative? Just call it being a conservative and then we can move on and whoever, you can look however you want and just think however you want. Right. I I hear that.
1: And I'm sure it wasn't an overnight switch, right? Mm -hmm. Starting, aligning more on the left, eventually landing where you are now on the right. Were there any moments even now in 2022 where you still are reconciling your old political beliefs with your new ones? Mm.
0: I mean, not that I can really think of. When I first started to sort of go down the rabbit hole of who am I as a person and what do I believe? I like. I left no stone unturned. I, I looked into every single thing, and I, I still don't view the world through a conservative lens. I, I like to think I view the world through the lens of truth. And if the truth happens to lie on a classically liberal line or even a, a woke leftist line, by all means, uh, I will. I will shout that from the rooftops. But. I think more important than ever, now I go into the different issues that I talk about just looking for what's true. Mm. And again, whatever side that falls on is the side that I will go for.
1: And are there still things that you do believe in that traditionally do
0: align with the left? Yeah, I mean, I think, I have to think about certain certain issues. I think racism does exist. There are certain people on the right that will say it's completely non-existent. I, I do think that It can be an issue. I do think there can be discrimination towards people. And I think that's a conversation that we should have. I think mostly with issues, I'm just not about being divisive. Just have the conversations. Yeah, I love that. And thank you for sharing that. I think
1: nuance is so important, Mm -hmm. right? Like we don't have to be all in or all one way or all the other. It's human to... Question things and right. think about things, and right. I, I'd be curious to know when you hear the label conservative, mm-hmm. do you align with everything that that party
0: represents? You know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no, and and the reason is I don't think any label can be placed upon a person in in terms of political ideology. I don't think there is one set of political ideology that fully encompasses truth and what it means to be right and what it means to have moral fortitude, and I, I really sort of navigate the world of trying to not call myself a conservative. I, I will go out and, and go to bars out here in LA and I'll meet people and they say, well, what do you do for a living? I say, politics. <laughs> and they say, well, what side are you on? I say, well, I don't know. Ask me about a specific issue. Because the minute you say I'm a conservative or I'm a Democrat or I'm a leftist, that person's already made their mind up about what you think and about where you land on certain issues. So I just like to navigate it through talking about specific things. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I find that oftentimes we're so boxed in, right? And a lot of Gen Z especially finds themselves more towards the center, Mm -hmm. but we're forced towards either extreme. So, you know, what would you say to someone out there who maybe is questioning their beliefs, but feels the pressure to align completely under a label or a
0: Man, the world is not black and white. And there will be so many people, both conservative and leftist, who will try to convince you that it is. And just make make your goal to find truth and to just be a good person. And if that's your goal, it matters not what other people think of you. It matters not what they say to you. It matters not what they pressure you into doing. And I get so many people that reach out to me and say, you know what, I agree with you on this certain thing. But I'm scared, I'm scared to come out and say it because I know there's just gonna be a storm of people who don't even know who I am, who are automatically gonna hate me. And you have to reconcile that within yourself and go, am I, am I truly scared of strangers hating me or having a riff in my family or is it important to me that I tell the truth? And, and once you make that decision, it's so much easier. Well, let's go into that for Mm -hmm. a moment. I'm sure you've experienced moments
1: of cancel culture and Mm. people expressing hate towards you, like you mentioned, because of your beliefs. Is there a time that maybe you could share that this actually happened in practice?
0: Oh man, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the first time that I really experienced it in full effect, I did my first university speaking engagement and it was at Winona State University and i was organizing with these students these college republicans who said you know come out and speak for an hour about your transformation and and where you think america's headed and i said absolutely i'll do that and i got a message about a couple weeks later and they said hey girl you're getting protested at this thing and they sent me a flyer that said uh, prager u is bringing hateful ideologies to winona state university and uh Also, we're doing a food drive, (laughs) so I I show up to the university and I said, OK, I need cans for this food drive. I'm going to walk right up to these protesters and I'm going to invite them in to see my speech, and I'm going to let them be the first ones in for Q&A. This is what I came here for. These are the people that I came to talk to. So I show up, we get ready for the speech, and I walk up and there's like 50 50 young girls and and boys who are, are protesting me. And one of them shouted, your views are rancid. And I stood in front of them and and got this really all on video of me saying, hey, let's let's have a discussion here. Any one of you, please come up right now and tell me one hateful thing that you think I've said, one thing that has hurt your feelings, one thing that you found offensive. And it was silence. It was hushed. And I sat there for 30 minutes trying to get one person to come up and have just a single piece of debate with me. And not one would. And eventually, I looked at them and I said, you know what, I was exactly like you. And and three years ago, I would have been the person standing right in here, and I would have been protesting myself. And I rolled up my sleeve because I have, you'll see it here, I have a, a Black Lives Matter fist, or at least that was the intention when I got it at 16 years old, because I thought, you know, there's nothing more important than what I believe right now. And I showed that to them and I said, you know, I was you and I changed. And all I'm here to do is talk about that change. And you don't have to agree with me, just come in and listen and maybe five out of the 50 of them came in, which is a win for me. Wow, and I, I remember watching that
1: video of you going live on WSU's campus, mm-hmm. and you were really ad- advocating for dialogue mm-hmm. and people coming together and having a conversation about your views. Do you find that a lot of times people from maybe another side of the
0: political aisle are interested in talking to you? It tends to be quite rare. I think I represent uh, a particularly difficult opponent when it comes to arguing, Mm -hmm. specifically when it comes to racism and patriarchy because I fall under those categories that they are trying to, say, are marginalized. So I, I do get the the odd leftist here and there that wants to talk to me. I just did Mark Lamont Hill's show on, on Black News Tonight, and we talked about critical race theory, which was great. And those are the conversations that I want to have. Yeah. I don't want to be sitting in my uh, conservative red meat echo chamber and talking to people about, rah, rah, it's so great to be a conservative. I want to be talking to the people who were me, and I want to see if I can, lead them down a different path or at least get them to think outside the box. Totally. And
1: what I remember from that video is that the, the criticism you were getting from those students is that their posters said, hate does not make America great. Mm-hmm. And I find that oftentimes the rep that the right gets in politics is that they're a hateful party right. and that the right doesn't advocate for human rights. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to go a little bit deeper with you. Yes, um, let's do it when when you hear people say you know the the right is hateful mm-hmm. how do you respond to that you know there are a lot of people out there that really believe that the right does not advocate for marginalized people and for human rights and I would just love
0: to know your thought process maybe for someone out there who does believe that. Yeah, I mean my immediate thought to that is can you please give me an example of where that's happening and we sort of dive deep into that and it often again goes into race or feminism or transgender issues and I think uh, we, we view these things through a lens and the lens is if people are being disparately impacted, the issue is bigotry. And that is so often where we jump. And if the issue is bigotry, then the people perpetrating it are the conservatives. And again, I, I just ask, can you give me an example of that? And if, if that is the case, am I hateful for sitting here and having this conversation with you? And is there anything that I've said that has uh, offended you or felt like we are going against your human rights? I think conservatives are traditionalist and can often have, again, a black and white structure of the way the world works, and people who tend to be progressive are more nuanced and free-flowing and want to see change. And when you have a side that is based around conservation and a side that is based around transformation and change, that is going to clash. But to blame that on bigotry and hate, I think, is, is false and it actually stops us from having the conversations we need to have. What does need to be changed? Because there certainly is room for progressivism uh, by all means in society, but we have to decide what, what needs sure. the changing. And do you find that it maybe is just a matter of
1: prioritization? Like, do you find that when it comes to prioritizing issues on a ballot when you go to vote, you know, issues of identity aren't necessarily at the top of right. a conservative person's ballot, or do you just find that maybe the the party on the right doesn't necessarily explicitly advocate for marginalized identities? Like, where do you where do you attribute it to?
0: Yeah, I think it's a it's a fundamental difference in the way that we even view what identity is. So, uh, conservatives tend to view uh, through a very individualistic lens you are all your own unique person. There is nothing that can be ascribed to you based on a set of characteristics. And the left goes, wait, hold on. We have these intersectional identities of race and gender and sexuality, and there are characteristics and uh, oppressions that can be consigned to you based on those identities. So, when you disagree on that, that's a huge thing to disagree on because you you disagree on the way that you see people. So, of course, conservatives aren't going to prioritize that because we don't view that as important Mm -hmm. uh, and and where they do. if, if the, a leftist sees that as foundational to human rights, then of course uh, a, a, the right looks like a racist bigoted side because right. it's not a priority. Right, and I remember I think watching in one of your videos that you shared that,
1: you know, when it comes to different facets of your identity, whether it be your religion, your race, your gender, your sexuality, You know, conservatives tend to not necessarily think that that is the end all be all of one's identity. So I'd love to know when you describe yourself as a human being, you know, what parts of your identity do you feel the most attached to
0: and which do you feel are wrongly ascribed to you? Yeah, i just like, I'm Amala. I like having conversations with people. I'm extremely extroverted. I love music. I love movies. I happen to work in politics, and that's something that I tend to be passionate about. And I, I want everybody to view themselves in that light of finding out what makes you unique as an individual. And yeah, I guess that's where I fall as a person. Awesome. <laughs> and I love that you said you love conversations. Yes. Because that's what we're all about. Right. And I'd be curious
1: to know, have you been able to find common ground with people who do fall on a different side of the political spectrum Ooh. as you do?
0: It, it happens every every now and then. I, I often get to shock people with what I believe because again, I think there's a, a certain set of people who look at you and they go, I already know what she thinks. I, I was at a bar once and this uh, guy walks up and he goes, Oh, what do you do for a living? I said, Oh, political commentary. And he goes, oh wow, that's really great, you're just like Obama. I said, well, not really at all. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I do it for the other side. And he goes, wow, well, you look like a leftist. And we sparked a conversation about that, and we started talking uh, about just different political issues, specifically abortion. And when I go into conversations with people, I find it really important to just ask questions. What What do you uh, think is important? How do you define this specific word? And when you put the questions in somebody else's court, it makes them feel more comfortable. So often, we go into dialogue and we say, well, this is the truth, and I know it because I believe this, and I saw this, and I read this study, and immediately you've lost. And so is the other person, because you're not going to go anywhere. But when When you walk into a conversation with the intent of, I don't know what this person believes, and I want to walk away understanding what they believe.
1: Done. You've won. Love that. And I know you've said before, I I think I watched it in one of your videos, that the beautiful thing about America is that we can find common ground on the fact that we all have free speech. We have opportunity. And I'd love to ask you about those two in particular. Do you believe that free speech actually exists in 2022 Whew, in our country?
0: Man, <laughs> I think it, it's uh, it's dwindling. Uh, it, I definitely think it's under attack. I've. Experienced so much censorship in my time doing, in my short time doing this, less than a year doing this. I have had a post taken down, called out for misinformation. I've been banned off of several platforms. So I do think there, it's questionable whether or not free speech is going to continue to be advocated for in America or whether or not we're going to say, oh, your speech is free so long as you believe this, this and that. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that's that's certainly concerning for me. As far as opportunity goes, that's something that's questionable too. Uh, and I think it's a brilliant opportunity that I talk about all the time for the left and the right to unite, is that the American dream is sort of falling apart a lot. We're all young people and we're, we're going into this world and we're being told you're gonna get your house and your picket fence and you're looking around and going, where's that? <laughs> and, and who can afford that? And who can afford to have kids? And we're seeing government and corporations sort of work together to stop us from having that dream. So I don't blame a kid growing up and going, okay, these people on the right are telling me I have some rah-rah conservative uh, American dream that I'm going to be able to to and i have inspired to, and I'm not seeing it anymore. Um, so I think that's somewhere where we could unite. Mm. And when you think about
1: free speech mm-hmm. and maybe when you also think about hate speech, where do you draw that line? What does hate speech mean to you? <sighs>
0: uh, you know, I, I find it very hard to give a, a definition for that, because my, my main question when it comes to that is who gets to define what hate means. Mm. And I don't feel comfortable letting giving anybody the power to define what hate means. So long as people can speak, there will be hate. So long as there is race, there will be racist. So long as there is gender, there will be sexist. I think the goal is to teach against that and to say, you know what? The people who are hateful, they do exist, but they're not good people and that's not a good thing to do. But it's their right to be that. And just because you are offended by something does not mean you get to take away someone's freedom of speech. It's protected in all, in all senses of the word, whether or not you're spewing love or hate. And when you think about free speech in 2022,
1: mm-hmm. do you feel that one party over another advocates more for free speech?
0: Uh, Yeah, I I hate to say it, but it does seem like my side of the aisle tends to advocate for free speech a little bit more. And when we talk about these platforms like Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and now Spotify with this whole Rogan debate, uh, censoring people, we are coming into the battle protecting everybody. I want everybody to be able to be on these platforms and say whatever it is they like. Just allow me to do the same. Mm. And if I come out and say, hey, I don't see myself as a victim and you see that as something that needs to be censored, we're dealing with a problem because that's a a personal opinion that I have. And if I'm no longer to have those personal opinions or at least not have them publicly, what does this country look like? And are we really living up to the values that are built into the foundation of it?
1: Interesting. And bringing in the dimension of truth. Mm -hmm. Right. How do you also differentiate between opinion and fact? It's something we talk about all the time, you know, fostering a platform with all voices being heard. It is sometimes hard to make sure that every single thing is grounded in truth because I feel like truth has become so subjective nowadays. And I know you said you've been censored before for misinformation. Mm -hmm. How, How do you draw that line between truth an opinion.
0: I mean it's really, it's a really difficult line to walk. I wake up every morning and it's actually a stressful line to walk too. I wake up every morning and I read news sources from every single side of the aisle. And and through that you find the objective points of this many people were involved or the person looked like this and, and I, I point out the objective truths of the matter. And then you get all the opinion stuff of this was motivated by this or this is the reason they did it. And you have to just find what is, what are the actual facts, the actual bedrock facts. And then you're going to have to, you know, use your your own critical thinking to find out where you lie as far as the opinion. But it, it's a tough thing to do. Yeah, I hear you. And you're
1: pretty open about every topic mm-hmm. under the sun. Yes. That's what I love about, you know, consuming your content, watching you share your opinions Thank because you. you're not afraid to speak out. I want to ask you, are, are there topics that you feel scared to talk about, what are, what are some of the hardest things for you to broach mm. a conversation about?
0: I don't know that there's really anything that I fear talking about anymore. I think obviously the hardest conversation to have now is either going to be COVID related or it's going to be race related because I think those are the two issues that are dividing us more than ever before. So I, I go into those arguments not with uh, you know caution really, but I try to be really conscious of what I say and how I come off, because the last thing I want to be is misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And uh, you you don't want to go into a conversation and intentionally offend somebody or get them in a place where they no longer want to have dialogue. So I'm super cognizant when I talk about those two issues in particular. Totally. And let's talk about COVID. What has been the
1: hardest thing for you to maybe find common ground with another person on when it comes to the pandemic?
0: Oof, uh freedom of choice. I, I moved uh, from Florida to Los Angeles about 10 months ago, and it's like two different worlds. I actually just got back from Florida yesterday, and it's like a whole different country here. You walk around and people are asking you for uh, your, your vaccination status, and people are, are masked up in one place and not in the other, and it's okay for celebrities and elites to, to do whatever they want, but the, the poor little proletariats have to cover up their faces and show their vax cards. And when you bring these questions up, uh, again, we jump to radicals. We jump to extremes, and we say, oh, well, you're, in, you're not compassionate you're a grandma killer for, for saying these things, when really we just want to have a conversation about what is right to do in this situation. And fear is such a driving factor here, and when you get an entire population of people scared, you are dealing with the worst thing in history, and that can be a sort of a mass psychosis in a sense, and, and to break through that is really difficult because of those tropes of being labeled as a non-compassionate, or a killer, or, or whatever the case may be. So that's been particularly tough.
1: Yeah, I hear you. And something stuck out to me that you just shared, Mm -hmm. which was the notion of choice. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes another perspective that gets offered when it comes to the conversation on vaccines, also, draws a comparison to abortion. Yes. So, what are your thoughts on people who do truly believe that they're one in the same? You know, if we're advocating for people to be able to choose whether they get a vaccine or not, mm-hmm. how do you reconcile that with the pro life, pro choice side of abortion?
0: Sure. Yeah. The deviation for me in those two arguments is when it comes to vaccinations, you're talking about a medical treatment on a singular person. So, uh, that being yourself, and if I would like to get vaccinated and I see that there's benefits in doing that by all means, go and do it. Uh, I think where the abortion argument comes into play is whether or not you are simply making a choice for just yourself as a singular individual or if there is another body involved. I tend to fall on the argument that there's another person involved and and therefore that takes away a little bit uh, when it comes to personal choice in that argument. I appreciate you sharing that. I just find it fascinating as we
1: think about how we can bring people back together and create unity in our country, Mm -hmm. there just seems to be a lot of, you know, misunderstanding in our country, and especially within our generation. Mm -hmm. You know, in thinking about where you are now, being, you know, a vocal advocate for your own politics and the things you believe in, what do you know now that you wish you knew
0: then? Oof. (laughs) Above all else, I wish I had just not fallen into that victimhood complex that I was in in as a kid. I like I can't even describe how angry I was as a child and how robbed I felt of the American experience Mm -hmm. and when I woke up from that and and realized okay no there's other options for me there is a there's a different reality than the reality that I was living in I was like this is amazing this is great and uh to see other people going through that and I think uh, again, being robbed of, of what they could have and the mindset that they could have, I think it's really devastating, especially with what we're seeing right now with kids as young as four years old being taught this. Uh, so that is the most important thing to me and that's the that's the thing that I learned that I am, I just hold so dear.
1: And where do we go from here? Like, where do you think we can find unity and bring people back yeah. together across differences to have conversations like this?
0: You know what? Um, my answer is not a fun answer for this. I think we're particularly divided right now. I think we have never been as divided as we are uh, in this very moment. And I think things have to get a lot worse before they get better. I'm definitely a short-term pessimist, long-term optimist. As far as ideologies go, I think some people need to see the failing of what they're advocating for and sort of feel that before they wake up from it. And as far as dialogue goes, we need something uniting to happen. And you would have thought uh, that uh, the COVID pandemic would have been a uniting factor for us, but that very quickly became political uh, through our choice or, or, or not. But I think something needs to happen that just makes us set aside differences and go, you know what, we're all Americans. Let's, let's function there and build off on what we think America needs to look like.
1: And do you think we'll see it in our lifetime? I hope so.
0: I'm working every day to see that in our lifetime, and I'm always willing to have the conversation and willing to have anybody who disagrees with me come forth, and I'm constantly encouraging people to do the same, as are you with this show, so I think if people like us keep doing what we're doing, maybe. (laughs) I completely agree, and we can definitely find common ground on that, and I think
1: most people can, right? The fact that we need to have more conversations and not ascribe labels to others or put people in boxes. So my last question for you is for anyone out there who may be watching this conversation and immediately assuming so many things about you mm-hmm. and your beliefs based on your political leanings, mm-hmm. what would you want that person to know so
0: we can start finding our way back to one another? Yeah. We are all humans. And and when you see somebody who falls outside of what you believe or is different from what you believe, view that person as if they're your cousin or your sister or your grandmother because they very well could have been. And we are all just living on this rock that's floating in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And we're all trying to figure out what life means. And that is such a unifying journey if we can stop dehumanizing people and separating ourselves and realizing we are just all here having human experiences that are different. And I want to leave this earth knowing that I spoke to as many people as possible to understand what their life is like. And that brought me more clarity into what the meaning of life is and what truth is. And if we're constantly chasing that North Star, Uh, then things are gonna get better so quickly. So Amala, a very special thing we do here at
1: POVs is we bring in other perspectives from the larger Gen Z community. So keep an eye on your phone, Okay. you're gonna get some text messages and I just want you to react with your most unfiltered opinions to share your responses to those POVs.
0: Love it, let's do it. Okay. Next, let's take a look. It is impossible to really know what your political beliefs are until you are an adult. When you're growing up, you essentially only believe what your parents tell you, so they aren't even your real beliefs. Mm. Mm, Okay, that's an interesting one. I think there can be a little bit of truth to that, and that's why So much of what I do is focused around young people and and talking to them about views that are differing, whether that's on the left or on the right. Because young minds are really malleable and they're super impressionable. And if you can get in there uh, and appeal to emotion and stick a particular narrative in the brain of a young person, you've done your job and they will most likely be on your side for the duration of their young life, if not into adulthood. And so much of the work that I focus on is around taking politics out of Uh, young life. I think one thing that is particularly sad about my childhood growing up is that I was so focused around politics when I was eight years old. What is an eight-year-old doing worrying about who's the president and (laughs) whether or not America is a systemically racist country? Why can't you just be eight years old? And, and now we've brought this sort of cultural battleground to young people, and I think we need to push back. We need to pull back from that and, and say, you know, let young people be young people. Let them have their, their young lives. And, and when they get older, they can worry about politics. Now, does that mean that a young person can't have political beliefs? No, not at all. I think uh, something particular about my journey is that I've always been in politics from a really, really young age. And I don't think that takes away from the validity of your beliefs or the foundation of them, but just make sure that you're doing your research. That's all that I ask. I hear that. And do you find that where you
1: are in this moment in your life, Do you still feel malleable? Do you think your views will evolve? Or do you feel like you've really found your footing with your views?
0: Uh, For the most part, I think I've found my footing. But uh, you can find yourself falling into the same tricks that you you went for when you were a kid of, oh, I just had this really visceral response to this. This must be the truth. Mm And I'm not going to listen to anything outside of that. And I already know what I believe before I even read the article. And uh, that's a trick of social media these days. It's a trick of headlines these days. And you just have to be really cautious of it and go, "Ooh, well, I I felt myself being stupid there. (laughs) Let me me
1: read this and let me look into it. I hear you. So to some extent, you're still completely open to the idea
0: of change, but you feel grounded where you are. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Let's check it out. Okay. A lot of Gen Zers are getting involved in politics, especially on the right, just to get famous and have a platform. Mm, mm. I certainly think this can be true in many cases. We have created a, a cultural climate that does elevate people who uh, speak about a particular subject. You're seeing that on the conservative side with young kids going to their school boards and protesting masks. You're seeing it on the leftist side with kids like David Hogg and the Parkland shooting and Greta Thunberg. And uh, these are very young people, again, very impressionable young people, who are hopping on and talking about these issues and then suddenly amassing uh, brilliant amounts of, of fame and sometimes wealth. And that can be a particular incentive for a lot of people. So I think what we do is, just listen to what people have to say regardless. Who knows what somebody's motivations are, but I, I know what they've said, and if they've said something that has truth in it or has an opinion that I think is interesting, sure, I'll listen to it. The The fun things about social media is you never know what anybody's intentions are, and, and that's sort of built into the, the platforms themselves, and, and most of it is, is fake, or at least a highlight reel of people's lives, and it's up to us to decide what people's motives are for the most part and try to differentiate. Uh, And have you ever been accused of creating this platform for clout and fame? (laughs) yeah. And what's your response to that? My response to that is if I was going for clout and fame, I'd pick a different career. (laughs) Because this is not a particularly fun one. And I think what people forget is going into the political realm, especially in the way that I'm in it, is extremely stressful. Mm. I'm, I'm 21 years old. And every day I wake up and have to be on top of every single issue that people are talking about. That's economics, that's foreign policy, that's uh, gender, that's race, that's sexuality. And you constantly have to keep yourself reading. And at the outset, you have a, a whole entire group of people who want nothing more than to see you fail and will throw questions at you to see you fail and want to find videos that they can cancel you for. So if I was going for fame and clout, I would choose something a little bit more relaxed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm
1: I'm glad you brought up your age because I I hear a lot of Gen Zers say that, you know, we feel the weight of the world on our shoulders, right? We want to take these issues on and solve them Mm -hmm. because we find that there's no other solution. Is there any part of you that wishes you had more of a traditional young adult life right now where you didn't have to be advocating for politics? Like, is there any part of you that wishes there was that world that existed? Uh,
0: I I get it sometimes. Uh, Sometimes I will go out, or you'll be in an inopportune moment where life is particularly stressful and has nothing to do with politics, and you'll meet somebody who wants to talk to you about that, or who has something they want to say to you about what you believe, or you just want to watch a movie and then you're getting hate comments. Uh, So uh, sometimes I just sit back and go, okay, (laughs) this is my life now, I did choose it, I did know that this could be a possibility. Uh, and you just have to roll with the punches there. But there are times, m- very few times, most of my life is extremely positive, but there are times where it does sort of get to you. I hear that. Yeah. Mm. Another one, let's check it out. Conservatives don't actually care about the black community. <laughs> if conservatives aren't actively standing up for Black Lives Matter and other minority causes, then they are just wrong. Mm. Whew, I can go let's, on and unpack that. <laughs> let's unpack that. Let's unpack that. So. Uh, Where do I even start? Let's start with Black Lives Matter. Uh, Black Lives Matter is an organization that has amassed millions and millions of dollars, and none of it has gone towards any of the families that it claims to be advocating for. It has not gotten a single piece of community legislation or policy passed that helps the black community. It has not helped black people get their parents back in the household. It's not helped black people get jobs. It's not helped black people get educated, yet has the title of Black Lives Mattering. And even in the George Floyd riots that we saw, what, two summers ago now almost? We saw thousands of black businesses burned to the ground and families' livelihoods ruined and actually 24 people killed during those riots uh, in the name of Black Lives Matter. So to that I ask what has Black Lives Matter done for black lives that you can point to and, and, and what, has, what have conservatives taken away from that? Uh, As far as conservatives go, the best thing that you can do for black lives in America is not look at them as black lives, but look at them as lives and say, you are an American, you live in this country. I expect nothing of you based on your, your skin color, and I will hold nothing from you based on your skin color. And you will be able to succeed, and I will give you opportunities. That is the best thing you can do for black lives. And instead, what Black Lives Matter is doing is saying, you are black you will always be black, you will always be seen as black, and there's a certain set of ideals that come with being black, and this is what is expected of you, and this is what you're going to see. And anybody who sees that as something good is is questionable. And when you separate Black Lives Matter, the movement Mm -hmm. from the organization, do you Mm -hmm. support the movement? I do not support the movement because I think the very premise of, of saying Black Lives Matter uh, takes away from the conversation that we should be having. And I don't wanna throw out one of those all lives matter statements because I think it has a stigma to it, but that is the objective truth. Uh, And again, uh, there's no single issue that we can point to that is directly affecting black people uh, that is not affecting people of other races. So people throw out these stats about black people when it comes to crime or suspensions or employment rates or income. And so much of that, if we really go into the studies and the background of this, has more to do with class and having a two-parent household, having parents that read to you as a child, getting good education, has so much more to do with that than it has to do with race. And the minute we see these issues and we go, racism, 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 you've already knocked out all the other conversations that we should be having that would do way more to solve these issues. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Sp- okay, another one. Let's see. I believe in free speech as long as it doesn't hurt others. Everything conservatives believe is harmful, and therefore we need to restrict their speech. Ooh. Let's unpack it. <laughs> Please. There's a really, uh, there's a really big word in here, and the word is everything. Everything that conservatives believe is harmful. That's a very, very big statement. And I think it's uh, a statement that you would be hard pressed to find an example of something that conservatives believe that is harmful. I I like to think that most people navigate the world trying to be compassionate and trying to do what's best for others. That is no exception to Democrats. It's no exception to Republicans. We should always function on that assumption because that's how most people are. Like you said, most people wanna live long, happy, fruitful lives in a society that supports their beliefs. And if we can get there first, uh, that's the way to go. But labeling an entire set of uh, ideas as harmful is wrong. And it points to what we talked about earlier with free speech. Who gets to decide what's hurtful? I could say that the text that was just sent to me was hurtful and therefore should be censored. But that would be going against your free speech. That would be going against the First Amendment for you and I would never advocate for that. So why would someone then turn around and say what I believe is hurtful and should be censored? (laughs) <laughs> they keep getting spicier. This is, I hope Amala gets her own show and becomes the next Candace Owens. Ooh. I'll get real here for a second. <laughs> I think me and Candace are very, very different people. This is no offense to anybody who submitted this question, but again, it sort of falls into that mindset and that patterned thinking of Black, female, conservative, Candace Owens. Black, female, conservative, Epinobi. We're totally different people, and I think we would uh, disagree on a lot of different subject matters if we actually got the chance to sit and talk to them. And we are colleagues, I do her show quite often, so I do, I do love Candace, but I think it's important to, to say that we are different individuals. As far as my own show, I have one. (laughs) So you guys can all go check that
1: out. (laughs) And I can't wait to keep watching everything you do. And thank you also for dispelling that trope that sometimes we group people together or box people together because Mm -hmm. everyone is individual. So appreciate you and thank you so much for being here.
0: I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Of course.